Chapter Seventeen of Cousin Betty by Honoré de Balzac, translated by James Waring. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Seventeen. Lisbeth set out for the Rue Plumet, where she now went as to the theatre to indulge her emotions. The residence Hulot had found for his wife consisted of a large bare entrance room, a drawing room, and a bed and dressing room the dining-room was next the drawing-room on one side two servants rooms and a kitchen on the third floor completed the accommodation which was not unworthy of a councillor of state high up in the war office the house the courtyard and the stairs were extremely handsome the baroness who had to furnish her drawing-room bedroom and dining-room with the relics of her splendour had brought away the best of the remains from the house in the rue de l'universite indeed the poor woman was attached to these mute witnesses of her happier life to her they had an almost consoling eloquence in memory she saw her flowers as in the carpets she could trace patterns hardly visible now to other eyes on going into the spacious anteroom where twelve chairs a barometer a large stove and long white cotton curtains bordered with red suggested the dreadful waiting-room of a government office the visitor felt oppressed conscious at once of the isolation in which the mistress lived grief like pleasure infects the atmosphere a first glance into any home is enough to tell you whether love or despair reigns there adeline would be found sitting in an immense bedroom with beautiful furniture by jacob de maltaire of mahogany finished in the empire style with ormolu which looks even less inviting than the brasswork of louis the sixteenth it gave one a shiver to see this lonely woman sitting on a roman chair a work-table with sphinxes before her colourless affecting false cheerfulness but preserving her imperial air as she had preserved the blue velvet gown she always wore in the house her proud spirit sustained her strength and preserved her beauty the baroness by the end of her first year of banishment to this apartment had gauged every depth of misfortune still even here my hector has made my life much handsomer than it should be for a mere peasant said she to herself he chooses that it should be so his will be done i am baroness hulot the sister-in-law of a marshal of france i have done nothing wrong my two children are settled in life i can wait for death wrapped in the spotless veil of an immaculate wife and the crape of departed happiness a portrait of hulot in the uniform of a commissary-general of the imperial guard painted in eighteen ten by robert lefebvre hung above the work-table and when visitors were announced adeline threw into a drawer an imitation of jesus christ her habitual study this blameless magdalen thus heard the voice of the spirit in her desert mariette my child said lisbeth to the woman who opened the door how is my dear adeline to-day oh she looks pretty well mademoiselle but between you and me if she goes on in this way she will kill herself said mariette in a whisper you really ought to persuade her to live better now yesterday madame told me to give her two sous worth of milk and a roll for one sou to get her a herring for dinner and a bit of cold veal she had a pound cooked to last her the week of course for the days when she dines at home and alone she will not spend more than ten sous a day for her food it is unreasonable 
if i were to say anything about it to monsieur le marechal he might quarrel with monsieur le baron and leave him nothing whereas you who are so kind and clever can manage things but why do you not apply to my cousin the baron said lisbeth oh dear mademoiselle he has not been here for three weeks or more in fact not since we last had the pleasure of seeing you besides madame has forbidden me under threat of dismissal ever to ask the master for money but as for grief oh poor lady she has been very unhappy it is the first time that monsieur has neglected her for so long every time the bell rang she rushed to the window but for the last five days she has sat still in her chair she reads whenever she goes out to see madame la comtesse she says mariette if monsieur comes in says she tell him i am at home and send the porter to fetch me he shall be well paid for his trouble poor soul said lisbeth it goes to my heart i speak of her to the baron every day what can i do yes says he betty you are right i am a wretch my wife is an angel and i am a monster i will go to-morrow and he stays with madame marneffe that woman is ruining him and he worships her he lives only in her sight i do what i can if i were not there and if i had not maturine to depend upon he would spend twice as much as he does and as he has hardly any money in the world he would have blown his brains out by this time and i tell you mariette adeline would die of her husband's death i am perfectly certain at any rate i pull to make both ends meet and prevent my cousin from throwing too much money into the fire yes that is what madame says poor soul she knows how much she owes you replied mariette she said she had judged you unjustly for many years indeed said lisbeth and did she say anything else no mademoiselle if you wish to please her talk to her about monsieur le baron she envies you your happiness in seeing him every day is she alone i beg pardon no the marshal is with her he comes every day and she always tells him she saw monsieur in the morning but that he comes in very late at night and is there a good dinner to-day mariette hesitated she could not meet lisbeth's eye the drawing-room door opened and marshal hulot rushed out in such haste that he bowed to lisbeth without looking at her and dropped a paper lisbeth picked it up and ran after him downstairs for it was vain to hail a deaf man but she managed not to overtake the marshal and as she came up again she furtively read the following lines written in pencil my dear brother my husband has given me the money for my quarter's expenses but my daughter hortense was in such need of it that i lent her the whole sum which was scarcely enough to set her straight could you lend me a few hundred francs for i cannot ask hector for more if he were to blame me i could not bear it my word thought lisbeth she must be in extremities to bend her pride to such a degree lisbeth went in she saw tears in adeline's eyes and threw her arms round her neck adeline my dearest i know all cried cousin betty here the marshal dropped this paper he was in such a state of mind and running like a greyhound has that dreadful hector given you no money since he gives it me quite regularly replied the baroness but hortense needed it and-and you had not enough to pay for dinner to-night said lisbeth interrupting her 
now i understand why mariette looked so confused when i said something about the soup you really are childish adeline come take my savings thank you my kind cousin said adeline wiping away a tear this little difficulty is only temporary and i have provided for the future my expenses henceforth will be no more than two thousand four hundred francs a year rent inclusive and i shall have the money above all betty not a word to hector is he well as strong as a pont neuf and as gay as a lark he thinks of nothing but his charmer valerie madame hulot looked out at a tall silver fir in front of the window and lisbeth could not see her cousin's eyes to read their expression did you mention that it was the day when we all dine together here yes but dear me madame marneffe is giving a grand dinner she hopes to get monsieur coquet to resign and that is of the first importance now adeline listen to me you know that i am fiercely proud as to my independence your husband my dear will certainly bring you to ruin i fancied i could be of use to you all by living near this woman but she is a creature of unfathomable depravity and she will make your husband promise things which will bring you all to disgrace adeline writhed like a person stabbed to the heart my dear adeline i am sure of what i say i feel it is my duty to enlighten you well let us think of the future the marshal is an old man but he will last a long time yet he draws good pay when he dies his widow would have a pension of six thousand francs on such an income i would undertake to maintain you all use your influence over the good man to get him to marry me it is not for the sake of being madame la marechale i value such nonsense at no more than i value madame marneffe's conscience but you will all have bread i see that hortense must be wanting it since you give her yours the marshal now came in he had made such haste that he was mopping his forehead with his bandana i have given mariette two thousand francs he whispered to his sister-in-law adeline colored to the roots of her hair two tears hung on the fringes of the still long lashes and she silently pressed the old man's hand his beaming face expressed the glee of a favored lover i intended to spend the money in a present for you adeline said he instead of repaying me you must choose for yourself the thing you would like best he took lisbeth's hand which she held out to him and so bewildered was he by his satisfaction that he kissed it that looks promising said adeline to lisbeth smiling so far as she was able to smile the younger hulot and his wife now came in is my brother coming to dinner asked the marshal sharply adeline took up a pencil and wrote these words on a scrap of paper i expect him he promised this morning that he would be here but if he should not come it would be because the marshal kept him he is overwhelmed with business and she handed him the paper she had invented this way of conversing with marshal hulot and kept a little collection of paper scraps and a pencil at hand on the work-table i know said the marshal he has worked very hard over the business in algiers at this moment hortense and wenceslas arrived and the baroness as she saw all her family about her gave the marshal a significant glance understood by none but lisbeth 
happiness had greatly improved the artist who was adored by his wife and flattered by the world his face had become almost round and his graceful figure did justice to the advantages which blood gives to men of birth his early fame his important position the delusive eulogies that the world sheds on artists as lightly as we say how do you do or discuss the weather gave him that high sense of merit which degenerates into sheer fatuity when talent wanes the cross of the legion of honor was the crowning stamp of the great man he believed himself to be after three years of married life hortense was to her husband what a dog is to its master she watched his every movement with a look that seemed a constant inquiry her eyes were always on him like those of a miser on his treasure her admiring abnegation was quite pathetic in her might be seen her mother's spirit and teaching her beauty as great as ever was poetically touched by the gentle shadow of concealed melancholy on seeing hortense come in it struck lisbeth that some long-suppressed complaint was about to break through the thin veil of reticence lisbeth from the first days of the honeymoon had been sure that this couple had too small an income for so great a passion hortense as she embraced her mother exchanged with her a few whispered phrases heart to heart of which the mystery was betrayed to lisbeth by certain shakes of the head adeline like me must work for her living thought cousin betty she shall be made to tell me what she will do those pretty fingers will know at last like mine what it is to work because they must at six o'clock the family party went in to dinner a place was laid for hector leave it so said the baroness to mariette monsieur sometimes comes in late oh my father will certainly come said victorin to his mother he promised me he would when we parted at the chamber lisbeth like a spider in the middle of its net gloated over all these countenances having known victorin and hortense from their birth their faces were to her like panes of glass through which she could read their young souls now from certain stolen looks directed by victorin on his mother she saw that some disaster was hanging over adeline which victorin hesitated to reveal the famous young lawyer had some covert anxiety his deep reverence for his mother was evident in the regret with which he gazed at her hortense was evidently absorbed in her own woes for a fortnight past as lisbeth knew she had been suffering the first uneasiness which want of money brings to honest souls and to young wives on whom life has hitherto smiled and who conceal their alarms also lisbeth had immediately guessed that her mother had given her no money adeline's delicacy had brought her so low as to use the fallacious excuses that necessity suggests to borrowers hortense's absence of mind with her brothers and the baroness's deep dejection made the dinner a melancholy meal especially with the added chill of the marshal's utter deafness three persons gave a little life to the scene lisbeth celestine and wenceslas 
hortense's affection had developed the artist's natural liveliness as a pole the somewhat swaggering vivacity and noisy high spirits that characterize these frenchmen of the north his frame of mind and the expression of his face showed plainly that he believed in himself and that poor hortense faithful to her mother's training kept all domestic difficulties to herself you must be content at any rate said lisbeth to her young cousin as they rose from table since your mother has helped you with her money maman replied hortense in astonishment oh poor mamma it is for me that she would like to make money you do not know lisbeth but i have a horrible suspicion that she works for it in secret they were crossing the large dark drawing-room where there were no candles all following mariette who was carrying the lamp into adeline's bedroom at this instant victorin just touched lisbeth and hortense on the arm the two women understanding the hint left wenceslas celestine the marshal and the baroness to go on together and remained standing in a window-bay what is it victorin said lisbeth some disaster caused by your father i dare wager yes alas replied victorin a money-lender named vauvinet has bills of my father's to the amount of sixty thousand francs and wants to prosecute i tried to speak of the matter to my father at the chamber but he would not understand me he almost avoided me had we better tell my mother no no said lisbeth she has too many troubles it would be a death-blow you must spare her you have no idea how low she has fallen but for your uncle you would have found no dinner here this evening dear heaven victorin what wretches we are said hortense to her brother we ought to have guessed what lisbeth has told us my dinner is choking me hortense could say no more she covered her mouth with her handkerchief to smother a sob and melted into tears i told the fellow vauvinet to call on me to-morrow replied victorin but will he be satisfied by my guarantee on a mortgage i doubt it those men insist on ready money to sweat others on usurious terms let us sell out of the funds said lisbeth to hortense what good would that do replied victorin it would bring fifteen or sixteen thousand francs and we want sixty thousand dear cousin cried hortense embracing lisbeth with the enthusiasm of guilelessness no lisbeth keep your little fortune said victorin pressing the old maid's hand i shall see to-morrow what this man would be up to with my wife's consent i can at least hinder or postpone the prosecution for it would really be frightful to see my father's honour impugned what would the war minister say my father's salary which he pledged for three years will not be released before the month of december so we cannot offer that as a guarantee this vauvinet has renewed the bills eleven times so you may imagine what my father must pay in interest we must close this pit if only madame marneffe would throw him over said hortense bitterly heaven forbid exclaimed victorin he would take up someone else and with her at any rate the worst outlay is over what a change in children formerly so respectful and kept so long by their mother in blind worship of their father they knew him now for what he was but for me said lisbeth your father's ruin would be more complete than it is 
come in to mamma said hortense she is very sharp and will suspect something as our kind lisbeth says let us keep everything from her let us be cheerful victorin said lisbeth you have no notion of what your father will be brought to by his passion for women try to secure some future resource by getting the marshal to marry me say something about it this evening i will leave early on purpose victorin went into the bedroom and you poor little thing said lisbeth in an undertone to hortense what can you do come to dinner with us to-morrow and we will talk it over answered hortense i do not know which way to turn you know how hard life is and you will advise me while the whole family with one consent tried to persuade the marshal to marry and while lisbeth was making her way home to the rue vanneau one of those incidents occurred which in such women as madame marneffe are a stimulus to vice by compelling them to exert their energy and every resource of depravity one fact at any rate must however be acknowledged life in paris is too full for vicious persons to do wrong instinctively and unprovoked vice is only a weapon of defence against aggressors that is all End of chapter 17